Storygram Network. The content and products discussed in this program have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, nor are they intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Any decisions made around your health should be discussed with your health practitioner. Welcome to Body Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Morgan, Health and Human Potential Master Coach and Edutainment Curator. I started Body Talk over a decade ago in order to achieve my mission of educating and inspiring millions to a healthier way of living. Body Talk Radio is more than just a radio show. It's your gateway to information and education relevant to today's most important health topics. Delivered by top thought leaders, influencers, and world changers in the health and human potential space. If you love great health talk, listen in and join the community. Get educated, get inspired, and become a healthier you. All right, everyone, we are back. It is a jam-packed hour today. It's Friday, and I am so glad you joined me today. We've got lots of good stuff going on. Wasn't Carrie amazing? And if you know of a woman out there that could use some total girlfriend time, time for herself, time to focus on how to grow as a person and how to really just love where she's at and love where she's going and plan and strategize, that Believe event's going to be amazing. And I'm going to go ahead and put that link for you on our Facebook page over at bodytalkradio.com. And I've, I'm a total believer in personal development. As humans, we're here on this planet for a limited time. And when you're here, I always say like you're either growing or you're not, you're contributing or you're not, right? Like it's a give and take. There's positive and negative everywhere you look with how you think, with your interactions. And and so, you know, I always try to think, okay, how am I moving forward, moving forward in my personal development, moving forward in life in the best way possible? Am I really stretching and growing to become my personal best? And everybody's personal best is different right? For me, that has looked quite different throughout the different phases of my life. And during the time when I was a student, you know, when I was younger, that was my focus. And that's how I was growing. But we're going to switch gears now. And we've got Dr. Scott Antone coming on board. So we are going to take our next call. Hello, Dr. Scott, you are on the air. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. We've got uh, a lot of listeners out there with lots of very curious and lots of questions about this whole topic of pans and pandas. And it's kind of new. I don't think it's new, but I think the awareness around it is fairly new. And what you're doing as a pioneer in this whole area is cutting edge. And like people are coming out of the woodwork to understand this better. So I really appreciate you coming on, joining us today and sharing your expertise on pans and pandas. And I want to just sort of start from the very, very basics, okay? Because there are many parents that listen to this show that have children that may be expressing some of these signs and symptoms and have no clue that this is what's going on. So can we start with a definition of what is pans and pandas? Sure. So... 
I would have to say sort of as a disclaimer that uh, I, although we work with this every day and we've seen quite a few patients and we're really trying to get the message out there, there's a lot of others that we've kind of built on. So PANDAS is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep infection. Strep is a bacteria. Right. In the 80s, Susan, Dr. Susan Sweeto uh, at the National Institute of Health started studying this and found that uh, children after a strep infection, like a strep throat typically, right. or an upper respiratory infection, they would develop, some children would develop sudden onset severe either OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. or they would develop restrictive eating. Mm-hmm. And then she also defined that a little bit better and said in addition to those things, these kids were typically between the age of three and about puberty, but they also uh, developed some additional things. They developed um, loss of bladder control at times, poor school performance. A lot of these children became very defiant, and they also noticed ticks, like facial ticks or ticks of the arms or the legs or neck. Mm -hmm. And so this was sort of what propelled this. And a lot of these children also would develop a really sudden sensory integration issue. So they'd kind of wake up out of bed one day and not want to put their socks on and go to school. And it, it looks odd. It looks like a behavioral issue or defiance and a lot of times it's just an anxiety so these children also are known to develop anxiety and depression sometimes it can be severe children have been known to become suicidal oh yeah Um, so it can be really significant so then a few years later after defining uh, pandas and coming up with some treatment protocols both to treat the infection and then to treat some of the symptoms and the inflammation in the brain we then started recognizing that some of these children, you could never find strep, but you found other bacterial infections like mycoplasma, mm. another bug that causes common uh, colds or respiratory sure. infections or pneumonia. Yep. And we also uh, found that there's a link with post-influenza, uh, also varicella, which is chicken pox. Sometimes children would, mm. would get it after chicken pox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and indeed, there's uh, a proposed link to Lyme. Uh, and that's something we've seen in our practice is Lyme disease and other tick-borne infections mm. like Bartonella yep. will sometimes cause this uh, syndrome. There are some toxins mm. as well. So that syndrome, when it's not associated with strep infections, mm. they termed pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome. Okay. So that's sort of the term I use as globally okay, sure. because it encompasses pandas plus all of these other things we see. You really gotcha. have to kind of cast a, cast a wide net. Just kind of bring it together for the audience. Children are obviously we've got epigenetics here, right? And so, is this sort of a situation where this infection, whatever it may have been, right, it sort of triggers these symptoms or a sort of reaction? But it's nervous system related, and it manifests in these ways that you're talking about, be it the ticks, the OCD, the the behavioral, right? Sure. Mm. It seems to be so. The the mechanism behind it and they found is that what's happening is these children get an infection and what your immune system is supposed to do is make an antibody to a protein to fight that infection. Right. And what's happening in these kids is that those proteins, those antibodies are then crossing their blood brain barrier, getting into their brain nervous system. And they're somehow Mm. uh, developing this autoimmune reaction, attacking parts of the brain. which is causing all of these signs and symptoms. Mm. So you mentioned epigenetics. We do believe there's probably a genetic susceptibility because strep infections are very common, as are some of these other infections. But it's not a huge number, at least that we know of, 
that we're seeing. So, and I have seen a few cases where siblings have had uh, this issue. So we believe mm-hmm. they're probably yeah. genetically susceptible individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually, if you add on top of that, some of the toxins, household toxins and mycotoxins from mold exposure tend to exactly. depress the immune system and then make it likely mm-hmm. that they'll have this weird abnormal reaction. Absolutely. And th- these are the things that people don't think about. So like mold, for example, I mean, and my family has lived through all of this, by the way, we've lived through it all with our children and ourselves mold in our home, had to move out the whole thing, get rid of everything. As a result, Lyme and co-infections. And looking back, realize that's what was going on with my kids. It's so like, it's so crystal clear now, the whole autoimmune thing. We're just one family, but there are so many people out there that have children that maybe have these infections. And then, you know, parents that are struggling because their child is misbehaving and their child is just acting not typical, right? And or having these outbursts and things like that. But they don't think to look at, hmm, could it be related to that illness that they had or something in the environment? So what would you say to parents to sort of be on the lookout for this condition? And what are the things that they need to look for? And then we'll talk about resources. So I would say that uh, the, the chief thing, piece of advice I always have for parents is you know your child best. And you need to be really diligent. And if you see a doctor or some other healthcare provider and they're giving you answers that don't make sense, mm-hmm. then you need to see someone else. And, and for something like this, it's important to see someone who has experience with PANS or PANDAS. I mean, I can tell you when my daughter had uh, PANDAS about six or seven years ago, I didn't know what it was. And at the time, I was right. already getting into functional and integrative medicine. So right. for doctors who have not seen this, it can look like a lot of things. And indeed, when it first started out, a lot of it looked like defiance to me with my daughter, when in actuality, it was probably anxiety Mm -hmm. and OCD and not wanting to do the things that I was telling her to do because she thought they would hurt her. Oh, yeah. And that happens in school a lot where children are not wanting to do a certain thing or sit in a certain seat or do something. Mm -hmm. And so it gets put through the lens of behavior. Oh my gosh, that uh, is that is so my son. Yes, Mm -hmm. we had the same exact thing in our house, and we we struggled for years because we just didn't realize what was the root, what was really going on. So there are parents out there whose children are going through many of the similar things that we talked about, and if a parent has a child, let's just say that's been diagnosed with ADD or OCD or behavioral Mm -hmm. issues, outbursts, right? Because non-typical outbursts are part of this, right? Correct. Yeah. So sudden aggressive behaviors. One of the stories that commonly happens, and it's not as if these parents have talked to each other. A lot of times they're coming in and they don't have any idea what the diagnosis is because we tend to see people, both adults and children with mystery diagnosis. And and one of the common behaviors we see in children is they'll unbuckle their seatbelt, open the door, and try and jump out of the car. Fortunately, right. I haven't had any that have been successful. Yes. But it's just so atypical. And one of the forms of OCD that we see a lot, too, is uh, thoughts of harming. Mm, sure. And, and in other words, they will say, uh, I was walking through the kitchen and I saw a knife and I thought about stabbing my brother. Mm-hmm. Now, these mm-hmm. are children that would, uh, one of those things I'm thankful for that we don't see these completed acts. But these are typically children that are super caring, super empathetic, oh yeah, uh, and empathic, and they have this thought impulse through their mind over and over again. So, yes. but you know, to to look at your child and say, well, they may have a learning deficit or they may have some ADHD tendencies or some anxiety. There's really no mistaking pans or pandas because 
the onset is super sudden. It's typically within three or four weeks. It can also come and go over time, so you can have what's called a flare, Mm. and then the children may return to baseline and then have another flare. That happened with my daughter. She initially started Mm -hmm. doing some lining things up type of things and praying really long before mm-hmm. meals at the mm-hmm. table. Yeah. And then that went away and she was fine for a few months and then things really reared their heads and she started washing her hands till they bled and yeah. having a lot of the other behaviors. So what's fascinating though about this, especially about pans in the last few years, what we've discovered is when you look at a larger number of these children, there are some children that you can't find the sudden onset or you can't find the infection that happened right before Mm. They got sick, and you know, everybody's busy. I mean, I have five children myself, and so these things sometimes in maybe 30 to 40 percent of the time, you might not have that immediate, like it was overnight or it was within a week. So sometimes there's times, and in fact, the the folks that write a lot of the PANDAS literature and PANS literature at the National Institute of Health Health said something Mm -hmm. interesting. They said some adults who have struggle with some of these things may have had their onset in childhood and it just wasn't recognized. Absolutely. And I think that may even be more common than we think, especially when they were young and they're just having, you know, a crying fit and they really aren't speaking and communicating as well at that point. So I I think that something you said is really important to circle back on, and that is this is acute onset. So this is something that sort of comes out of the blue and you look at it and you say, this is not my child, right? So the parents will exactly know, right. like, so if, if this has happened to anyone out there or someone, you know, where the child is quote unquote developing and coming along quite, I hate the word normal, but you know, typically, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, especially after someone, after an illness of some sort, they just have this complete turnaround in behavior and in, you know, like a meltdown breakdown to the point where you're like, this is not my child and I don't know what's going on. And sometimes it's so severe that people are questioning, is this mental onset of mental illness? It's very hard. When my daughter got sick, she had been at summer camp in Michigan and where Mm -hmm. Lyme is really endemic Mm -hmm. and came back. And then it was a month or two later and she started also having some other obsessions and obsessive thoughts. And mm-hmm. our first thought was, did something happen at camp? Right. Did someone right. hurt you or, yes. uh, you know, violate you in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. And so it can really, the thing about pans and pandas are, it's rare that you would just get like a single isolated symptom, like only OCD or only restrictive eating. If folks right. dig a little bit more, mm-hmm. it's this whole constellation. So to make the diagnosis, typically it would require um, a child between the ages of three and puberty. Okay that a child would either have acute onset OCD or restrictive eating. What restrictive eating looks like is not just sort of a finicky eater, but children that are afraid to swallow or suddenly can't tolerate certain textures, crunchy Mm. foods, things like that. And so they can actually, that's my least favorite kind to treat, because they can actually lose weight. Some of these children end up hospitalized Mm. with, you know, feeding tube, and it it can be quite dramatic until they get definitive treatment. But Mm -hmm. once you get one of those two things, and then there are some minor criteria. So technically, to meet the book definition, you would need either OCD or restrictive eating, and then plus at least two of these additional symptoms. So anxiety, depression is one category. Another is decreased school performance. Another is somatic signs and symptoms. Those are things like bedwetting, loss of bladder control. Sure. The next would be uh, sensory issues. So children that can't tolerate certain fabrics won't wear pants. Mm-hmm. Things and some of that goes with childhood, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, but 
to, to an extreme degree. Mm. And so these are kind of four of the, the categories. There are a few more things we look for. And then the other suggestive evidence, interestingly, about 90% of these kids will have first-degree family member with either psychiatric diagnosis mm. and or autoimmune diagnosis. Oh. And indeed, when we run autoimmune markers like an anti-nuclear antibody, an ANA, right. that's positive in about 40 to 50% of the children in our practice 100%. and across the nation. No, I, I agree. And that, that whole autoimmune piece is also mm-hmm. really important because that's something that doesn't always get detected by the healthcare providers. They're not looking for autoimmune stuff in kids usually. That's not where they're going. So I think that that's super, super important to understand. And yes, that genetic piece or someone, you know, in their immediate family that has the mental health issues. I mean, it all is sort of this clustering effect. And so therefore, there are many practitioners out there who aren't well-versed in this, but there are many, many, many children out there that are experiencing this. So what is being done today? I know you're, you have a big effort out there in this regard, but the doctors and the physicians coming on board with this and are the support mechanisms and the diagnoses in place, or is this something that's still really just emerging? So it's getting better. This became sort of a controversial diagnosis when it first came out because people said, look, a lot of kids get strep. Why don't they all get this? And it's, it's sort of a similar story you hear when people talk about mold. You'll have a, a public building, a library, a school full of mold. Oh and gosh. only two or three people are devastatingly sick. The rest of the people seem fine. Mm. And so it leads people to say, well, those people are just That's have a right. problem or they're faking. Or yep. So there was a lot of issues initially, but more and more people around the globe are writing about this and, and mm-hmm. professional medical journals. Mm-hmm. The American Academy of Pediatrics actually had a booth um, just at their recent conference from the Pandas Physician Network, who does a lot at at, uh, educating people. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's coming forward. There's still some Mm -hmm. resistance here and there. I know there's a children's hospital in in, uh, one of the surrounding states to us, and they they had sent a child with sort of a scathing. The primary care doctor had sent the child to this children's hospital Mm -hmm. in a big city and said, does this child have Pandas? And they sort of derided the physician mm. and wrote some things in the visit notes, like, you know, another case of fake pandas disproven. So mm. they diagnosed this child with Tourette syndrome, <laughs> said there was not, no medication with this severity of illness that would help, and sent them out. And then they found us, drove here from, from that state, and I treated the child, and the child's symptoms ultimately went away when, they, when he got appropriate treatment. And so mm. it, we still see that. It's getting better. We have some legislative things, as you know, yes. kind of going forward to try and get help for these families. And, and, you know, a lot of the literature that came out from the National Institute of Health and from Harvard and Yale and Columbia, mm-hmm. especially, and Stanford has had a big effort. They have a great PANS clinic at Stanford. But a lot of that focuses on infections, microbiology, neuroinflammation, writing the immune system, and all those things right. are super important. But mm-hmm. one of the things that's been missing has been support. I mean, this illness mm-hmm. is super hard on siblings mm-hmm. and parents, especially moms. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge we had a, one of my patients wrote a great blog a mm-hmm. month or two ago, and it, it was about guilt. Because one of the things I commonly will say to these parents, usually the moms, mm-hmm. when they come in, they'll say, oh, maybe it's because I missed a prenatal vitamin. Or, <laughs> you know, I know I'm a terrible mom. I don't always give them lunch that's gluten-free or something. Yeah. And so that guilt piece is huge. And then if you go to see a physician outside of mm-hmm. our practice and they say, 58% of these parents report that a doctor somewhere along the way told them they were crazy or acted like there was nothing wrong. I had a child about six months ago, and they told the parents that all these terrible symptoms were because there was stress in their marriage. 
So talk yeah. about a guilt right. trip and delaying, you know, delaying definitive care. Right. And the studies show that the quicker you treat this, the less long-lasting effects these kids have. Mm. It's so true, though, Dr. Scott. Okay, so we actually have to go take a break and hear from our sponsors. So if you don't mind, Dr. Scott, if you could just hang tight. And then when we come back, we've got some questions that have come in for you. One of them is about pans and pandas, but we've only talked about, this is what the person is saying, you talked about through adolescence, but what about beyond adolescence? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe we can touch on that when we get back from break. Fantastic. Okay, great. So everyone hang tight. We will be right back. You're listening to Body Talk with Heather Morgan, sponsored by EA's CrossFit. More information at 415-314-1399 or at eacrossfit.com. Myers Financial, located at 670 West Napa Street in Sonoma. Myers Financial is a boutique wealth management firm. So whether you need personal or business financial management, wealth management, tax planning, or income tax preparation, Myers Financial is here to help. For more information, you can call Lillian at 800-734-1124 or visit their website at myersfinancial.com. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by the Tina Schoen Group, located at Sotheby's International Realty. And this health moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital. One recent medical study concluded that our lifestyle choices contribute more to our state of health than do hereditary factors. In fact, lifestyle choices are the major factor in determining most people's health. This is a reminder that the decisions we make every day about diet, exercise, coping with stress, and even our communications with others have a powerful influence on our health and well-being. Let's remember to be self-aware and make good practices and healthy habits. everyone. You are back. We are so excited today to have Dr. Scott Antone joining us talking about pans and pandas. And Dr. Scott, could you just quickly before we launch in, tell us where our listeners can find you and follow the work that you're doing? Sure. So our office, uh, if people would desire to come and and see us, uh, would be uh, www.vinehealthcare, V-I-N-E, healthcare.com, all one word. And we also have a presence on social media, so we have a Facebook site called Healing Pans and Pandas, and we have an Instagram site that we actually just launched. I think we have a grand total of three posts on there, and that's called the Pandas Docs, and that's uh, one where you can find, because, you know, we have a kind of a diverse audience. Some of them tend to gravitate toward Instagram Mm -hmm. and some toward Facebook, so it was sort of about providing service for everyone. Yeah, no, that's great. I anticipate that that Instagram page will be large by next year. <laughs> it's such important work. Okay, so, and by the way, did I pronounce your name right? Uh, Antoine. Antoine. Okay. I didn't notice. <laughs> okay, great. I just wanted to make sure. I'm always double checking. And and by the way, we should also mention that your lovely wife is also a doctor in your clinic with working towards the same efforts, correct? Correct. Dr. Ellen Antoine is, is my wife, and, and she, yes. she actually made the diagnosis and our daughter when we were very confused about what was going on came mm. to me at 10 o'clock one night with the case definition and said I think this is pandas we sat down and hashed it out and sure enough 
Sure enough. I wish I would have had that when we were going through it for sure. So the power couple in the industry, and I just, again, really think this is so, so very important. There's so many people out there going through this and don't even realize that, and there's specific health and treatment as well. So once, after we go into talking about beyond adolescence, maybe we can move into help and treatment regarding this and where people can go. Sure. Okay. Sure. All right, great. So um, yeah, let's talk about this. We did have this come in from someone wanting to know, is this something that occurs beyond adolescence? So the reason they sort of narrowed it to ages three to puberty, well, three, because, you know, a child before three isn't going to be able to kind of verbalize OCD or it's going to be hard to figure behaviors out. But puberty seems to be when you get a a great, uh, the curve tends to to go down. Mm -hmm. You know, like any curve in medicine, whether it's Mm -hmm. normal range for a lab result, anything, Mm -hmm. there's those outliers. So in the published literature from the National Institute of Health, they had, uh, I think, their oldest subject in their first 47 patient study was, I think, 28. And so, you know, I sort of look at it as a continuum. I had a very smart teacher in my residency who always said, you know, patients don't read books. Mm -hmm. So you'll have, you have to be really diligent about it. And when you see someone come in, certainly if I were to see someone come in, I think the oldest patient I probably had was 22, maybe. Most of these kids tend to be, uh, the average age is about 10 or 11, although they usually don't get diagnosed till they're Mm -hmm. about 13. But yes, to answer the question directly, I listen to patients. I ask the, try and ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Listen to the patients, and if I have someone older, I kind of look at this like a continuum, and yeah. you know, I kind of follow what Dr. Jeff Bland says. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to give everyone a diagnosis. If I identify neuroinflammation, right. and abnormal immune response in right. an adult of any age, yes, that's where I'm going to go after it. Absolutely. And that's a really, really good way to look at it. And so this person is noting that they thought that their 19-year-old daughter that this was the situation. So I just thought that we would sort of address that. And I know for our sake, our 21-year-old had some similar issues when we had mold. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that movie, Brain on Fire. Great movie. Great movie. And so do you believe that was a case of pandas? So what that ended up being was in brain on fire. So there are several types of autoimmune encephalitis. Pans and pandas are one. Right. Um, but there, are, in her particular case, I think it, there's an, a receptor in your brain called NMDA receptor, and okay. she had NMDA receptor encephalitis. And so okay. as you're going through this, and things present differently, and I saw the movie, people tell me the book was better. Yeah. I saw the okay. movie, and the, and the movie tends to kind of it's all encompassed in the cognitive difficulty and the schizophrenia-like behavior. Right. Um, And so the the kids with pans and pandas tend to have more tics and more of these other somatic... Like the OCD and the tics and all that. Okay, good. Right. At least least the way they portrayed it in the the movie. Like I said, I didn't read the book. But yeah, you have to have this. And so there's a panel you can run from the Mayo Clinic to look Mm -hmm. at NMDA receptors, uh, antibodies, and and different things to look at it because... The treatment is a little bit different for NMDA receptor uh, antibodies. Those patients actually end up, like her, mm-hmm. being kind of sicker from a, um, you know, most kids with pans and pandas are actually sort of cooperative when they're in the office. They can usually vocalize and talk if they sure. are not impaired. Yeah. Um, but she obviously, you know, was Severely very, very impaired. impaired from a yeah. cognitive standpoint. So a lot of times mm-hmm. what will tip you off is if you see a child that's absolutely, like, you know, altered mental status, that's where you have to look for the other types of encephalitides or brain tumor, et cetera. Oh, fantastic. 
such good info. Okay, so we have just a few minutes left. So could we just sort of address, okay, so what are we doing with kids with pans and pandas? How are we treating and what are the best resources? And we've got about three minutes. Sure. So the first thing to do is find someone who's familiar with the disease. And obviously we are, but if people can't travel, and a lot of these kids can't uh, due to their OCD, but you can go to the Pandas Physician Network, and there is a referral site there. You can type in your you can type in your zip code and, and find a provider near you. Mm. Um, so that's one thing that, that you can do. The key really is first and foremost to keep the kids safe. If there's an issue with safety, a lot of times they need a quicker psychiatric intervention. But if that's mm. not the case, find someone who can help you. Don't accept answers that don't seem to make sense to you. And then when it comes to treatment, it's really about, you know, reducing the total toxic load. So looking at toxic foods, things that are preservatives, gluten and dairy are huge, although it's sometimes hard to restrict these children's diet if they have Mm -hmm. a dietary restriction already. But looking at uh, things, looking at your home, making sure there's no mold. I I hasten to say all, medicine, it's never good to say all, but quite a high percentage of these kids, I think, have an immune deficiency from mold exposure. So looking at your house for mold. I think you're so right on uh, with that. I really do, Dr. Scott. Mm-hmm. So those are the big things that I would say initially. And then beyond that, there are some other things you can do. Some uh, You can use natural anti-inflammatories like curcumin, uh, turmeric. You can um, sometimes use binders. Things like charcoal are pretty innocuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also you know, treat with non-steroidal medications if you need to. Sometimes if they're in a severe flare, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. Or use steroids, not my favorite. Sure. Uh, and also antibiotics can be really helpful during mm-hmm. a flare. They really seem to calm things down at times. And then ultimately, if none of those things work, some of these children will go on to need intravenous immunoglobulin IVIG, which is an infusion. Correct. A little bit more complicated. So, Wow. Such great information here. Actually, we still do have a, a few more minutes. I've kind of miscalculated, but, but I wanted to just make <laughs> sure that people understood that there are treatment and approaches there. And one of the things that was written in last week through the website was asking about gluten and dairy. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, again, anything that's going to help reduce that toxic burden and diet is a big part of that. And people don't want to let go of gluten and dairy. It's not easy with kids. But do you find that to be effective? So I used to kind of say to parents, and as I said, if they have a diet, a diet, Food, restrictive food intake disorder, you have to be a bit careful. But um, right. I've had at least two cases in the last year where parents told me, maybe before they came to see me, we eliminated gluten and dairy and things got, and processed food sugars, and things got a lot better. Yeah. There's still issues to be worked on. Mm-hmm. So we know that gluten has a link to autoimmunity because gluten mm-hmm. tends to contribute to leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And leaky gut, leaky gut, genetics, and a trigger are what you need for autoimmunity. And so right. whether the triggers strep or whether the triggers mold or heavy metals or whatever that's it right. be, that's one of those things. So I always try and eliminate inflammatory foods, basically reducing anything that can adversely impact their health. And that mm-hmm. comes to addressing stress, mm-hmm. both in the family, the parents, and the child. But food is a big part of it. And, you know, food is healing. And if you can supplement protein and iron, keep the iron level up, their vitamin D, natural is always better. Food always beats mm-hmm. every supplement. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get it, that's kind of our approach. Yeah, I think it's important that you mentioned the word trigger and you've mentioned mold a few times. So just sort of having people understand 
this is sort of like a, a perfect storm that happens. You've got something environmentally, then there's this. So usually the immune system is compromised, which can often be from mold because mold will wreak havoc on an immune system. Then the immune system is compromised, which allows these other opportunistic infections on board. And then as a result, this autoimmunity can happen and thus all of the, the symptoms and the behaviors and those types of things. Gosh, it's been so helpful, Dr. Scott, Antoine. We really appreciate you joining us today. You really are one of the top experts on this very important topic that is really starting to take traction. And I just, in general, invite parents, families to think of mental health a little bit differently and think of it more as a root cause, from a root cause perspective. Because so many children who are struggling with mental health type issues today there is something environmental there is something where the body is being triggered that can be addressed and treatment can have because so often people think when there's something mental health going on there's a diagnosis boom done right and i just want to invite people to really consider if your child is experiencing some sort of mental health situation and some of these symptoms and causes that we've talked about today if any of that looks looks suspicious to you please consider checking out the resources that Dr. Scott has shared with us today. And thank you so much. I think that what you just said was probably the best thing I've heard on this show today. (laughs) Thinking about things differently. Yeah. uh, You know, that was the Apple logo, think different. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of have always been that way. And I think that's what landed me in this job. Yes. And so purposefully, and we're so fortunate for that. Well, Dr. Scott Antoine, thank you again for joining us today on this very important topic. We appreciate it. We'd love to have you back on the show sometime in the future. And I just want to wish you, yeah, oh, thanks. I just want to wish you all the very best and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. We'll have a lot more to come on our website and our social media shortly to help parents and support them. Excellent. Really appreciate it. And everyone else, have a great weekend ahead, and I will see you all back here for Body Talk Radio. We're going to have another great guest and a good topic. Everyone have a great and healthy week ahead. Take care and be well. Bye-bye.